Hey, this is Joe Bakmotsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Look, I know that supporting someone you love through cancer can really be like the toughest job in the world. Because not only do you have to support them through it, but you somehow have to find a way to try and deal with it all yourself. Try to deal with all the craziness and the uncertainty. So today we get to hear what it's like to be a caregiver from Honore, who went on this extraordinary adventure of supporting her husband through cancer. I'd love to start with, um, what was your life like before cancer? Oh, it was, um, life before cancer really feels simple now. And uh, my husband and I, Tom, were, um, we were married three years. We had been together just over six. And, you know, we were in our late 20s, establishing our careers, enjoying the opportunity to travel. We were at that age where every weekend was a wedding or a a bachelor party or bachelor party. (laughs) And, you know, we were just in that time in our lives where we were constantly moving and um, really got to enjoy those first couple of years of marriage. And uh, things were were great. And it, it came so abruptly that that time in our life just seems foreign now. Absolutely. And so how did you uh, first find out that Tom had cancer? So we're actually very fortunate. So Tom was having a kind of a weird cough and some pain in his chest. And he didn't really think anything of it. And I remember him coming up the stairs that night and just making a face a little bit and pushing on his chest. And just really, he said something just felt weird. And we thought, okay, a cold is coming or something like that. You know, it's September, all the back to school stuff. And about we went to sleep that night and about five o'clock the next morning I woke up and he was putting um, clothes on and he was getting ready he said he needed to go to the hospital and uh, fast forward an hour or so later and he had a x-ray and they saw a shadow in his it's the metastinal so in his chest and that from that they sent him to a CT and there was a baseball sized tumor sitting in the center of his chest, essentially in the metastinal. And what was causing that kind of chest pain for him was the fact that the tumor was touching his heart. So we were actually in a way very fortunate because it mimics symptoms that you don't mess around with. You go into the ER when you're having chest pain like that. And where some people have gotten this type of cancer in their abdomen, and it takes longer to diagnose because you just think you're having a food allergy or something like that. So we were very fortunate in a way that it was in his chest. And truly by, we got to the hospital a little before 6am by three o'clock that afternoon, we knew it was a late stage three cancer. And his particular cancer was a non-seminoma germ cell tumor, which is a a rare form of testicular cancer. Yeah. Well, it's it's just such a shock, isn't it? Because you you just never see it coming. So what, what was the first thing that kind of went through your mind? That I would wake up. You know, it's funny because I, you know, naively, in a, in a way, I mean, I woke up out of a dead sleep to Tom saying we need to go to the hospital. And there's an element of that that I honest to goodness thought I was in a dream. Like it, I would wake up, it would be okay. I would wake up. This is just one of those really, really, really vivid dreams you have. And unfortunately not. And once I kind of accepted that reality in that day anyway, I think it took long to actually truly accept our reality. But Knowing that I wasn't in a dream, um, unfortunately, what you think of is every bad story you've ever heard about cancer and the financial impact it can have. And are we going to be able to keep our home? And can we figure out these treatments? Is, is this a diagnosis that's going to allow us to have a chance at a future beyond this? 
Um, so unfortunately, my head kind of went to all of those pieces because there are so many unfortunate cases where you don't have positive outcomes. And that's kind of all of a sudden that movie reel plays in your head of all of those stories and circumstances and, and news articles and all of those things that you've read before. That is so true. And my mind goes back to what you said about uh, kind of hoping to wake up from this dream. It does take a while to like properly sink in, doesn't it? It does. It, it really, you're in shock. You're absolutely in shock. And not only are you in shock, you have to make a ton of decisions very fast. So you don't even get to sit for a minute with your own thoughts. It's here are a bunch of facts. Now here are all the decisions you need to make. And oh, by the way, you might need to make them within the next 24 hours because we have to start treatment or we have to get this doctor lined up. So yeah, it, it's uh I would argue some days were still still seems like a dream. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I really connected, I guess, with, with your story as well, because um, I remember when I was going through treatment that I think my wife and my mom, they were probably under even more stress than I was. Because I guess the way that I look at it is that when you have cancer, all the spotlight is on you, right? You, you can have going through it. But at the same time, your partner has to be the rock was kind of supporting you through all the craziness and the uncertainty and through treatment. But you also have to maintain some semblance of normal life and do the things that you normally do. So um, what's what's your experience been like as, as a caregiver? Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. it. It is hard because the spotlight is on that person and you kind of feel like you're the puppeteer making everything happen around that person. You know, the day that he was diagnosed, uh, and I, I talk about this quite a bit with people, is our roles changed. We were still husband and wife, but now we were also caregiver and patient. And with that comes a different dynamic. When we were just husband and wife, I wouldn't tell my husband, you have to do this. There were days where I had to say, I know you don't want to, you got to do this. You got to take this. You know, we, we've got to do what the doctor is saying. And, and your roles shift. And, and that's hard because you want to keep your normal but the reality is you're in different roles and that normal is something that you are anchored to and you hold on to, but that's not your day to day anymore. And that's really tough. So it's finding normal within that. We found temporary normals. Like when we were in the hospital, we would take a walk every night and we took the same route and we make the same goofy faces and say hi to the same people. You know, you find these little rituals and these traditions and these terrible times because that's, you're, you're just, you're clawing for any sense of normal and any sense of, you know, this, this can be happy. We can find happy moments in this. We can laugh. We can do that because that was part of our normalcy. Our normalcy was having fun and choosing to be positive. And, and you lose so much of that, that you try to find those in those moments. And I think the other thing we did from a normalcy perspective and, and for Tom's sake, you know, all of his medications, we, I had an entire table of medications that he was on and, a chart that I followed of what he needed when, and I put that in one of our, like kind of our office room in our house and I would shut the door and I would keep everything in there because I wanted everything else in the house to feel normal. I didn't want 10 medication bottles on the bathroom counter and five in the kitchen and, um, you know, have the stuff spread all over the house. I wanted that normalcy to be when we were in our home, other than that one room, we were still husband and wife and this was still our home. And that helped kind of keep us both, I could still be his rock and, and do that for him. And he could kind of power through the hard days. Yeah, that's such a fantastic um, advice you've got, like the, this whole cancer room. I kind of heard that people, you know, even have rules for when to talk about cancer and when not to talk about cancer. What's your perspective there? I think for us, we didn't necessarily have rules. Um, but for us, I think 
I would have hate to put restrictions on it like that because there are moments where you feel like you can you need to communicate. And I will tell you, any couple that goes through this will likely tell you that communication is key. And to me, if we had put those restrictions on it, if he's in a moment where he feels like he needs to tell me he's having a really bad day, I don't want him to hold back and think, oh, we're not supposed to talk about that today. Or I don't want to upset her. So I, I get why people do it for sure. But for us, I think it was really important to keep those open lines of communication. And we kind of always had that card to say, if we need to have a hard conversation, we're going to have it when we're both ready, whenever that is. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's such a huge point to make that I think that, you know, there were points in particular during treatment when I kind of didn't feel like saying how I really feel because I didn't want to get, you know, my wife or my mom even more worried or more worked up. Um, but I kind yep. of think it did more damage, really, you know. So I think when I really started to kind of open up about it and to be just more direct um, and, and just honest about it, I think it just kind of helped everyone, you know, because everyone was in on it. Everyone knew exactly what was going on, you know. Absolutely. I remember I finally had to say to my husband, that, and Tom was wonderful about communicating, but the same thing, you know, the, the person going through the cancer already feels such tremendous guilt. They don't want to add that onto the day. And I remember saying to him, I am managing everything right now, but I'm, I'm happy to do it. I am doing, you know, I'm balancing work. I'm balancing all of our appointments, our life, our finances, everything. I can't add mind reader to the mix. So <laughs> you need to tell me how you're feeling. Cause I can't, if you add that layer, I'm going to, I'm going to burn out. I can't, I need you to communicate with me what you need and be open about it. So I can adjust accordingly and make sure I can do that for you, but I can't read your mind. Yeah, exactly. Yes, mind reading is not on the job description. <laughs> nope, not not in the official caregiver description <laughs> for me anyway. No, 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 no. That's uh, exactly. And and I think that kind of comes down to also uh, helping you to stay more positive because it, it, it's tough to deal with things because you, you're kind of always on edge, like both of you, uh, both yourself and your partner, right? Because like, you're, you're always like waiting either for results or you're waiting to see if the treatments worked or like you're waiting to hear from your specialist or from your nurse. So what are some of the other things that kind of helped you to stay more positive through it all? For us, I think first, like we're both kind of goofy people. We both, you know, we always joke who's funnier in the relationship. Like we're just lighthearted in that way. We always said laughter was the best medicine. And we really tried to find those moments where we could laugh or, or be goofy. Um, for me, and part of the reason I started blogging about our experience was one to keep family informed, but actually writing became a huge stress reliever for me because there's so much going on in your head and in your mind and just to write it down. And then for, for Tom, you know, there's a lot of memory loss almost during chemo, you know, chemo brain is real, um, <laughs> very real. In addition to the fact that your body's in shock and, and all of that. So he actually didn't remember more than I even thought how much he didn't remember from that. And so being able to write that down and kind of channel that in my stress and, and put it all down also served a dual purpose because he read it back eventually. And he, he's like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that happened. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Like that was such a, <laughs> such a pivotal day or something to me that seemed like a big deal. And it wasn't that he obviously intentionally did. It was just, that wasn't, you know, a memory that was retained for him with all of the, the drugs and all of the stress of that. Um, for both of us, we, I will admit to any caregiver, I resisted therapy. <laughs> in my head, I thought my, my husband was diagnosed in September and I did not bite the bullet until January. And I, um, I wish I had done that sooner. You know, I, I don't know why. I don't, 
I have nothing against therapy and a dear, dear person that I uh, know and love had said to me, you know, you break your arm, you go to the doctor, right? You have a broken bone. If your brain is not working or your brain is struggling to comprehend the trauma and the stress of everything you're going through, you go to a therapist. And I heard it like that. And I'm thinking, well, duh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, it kind of was that aha for me of, um, we need help. This was a lot. This was a ton of stress on me, like you mentioned earlier. And, um, and how, and, and more importantly, how do I help Tom through his stress? Because again, as a caregiver, you never really turn that piece off. Exactly. And, and I think that a lot of people kind of, it doesn't occur to them and it, it didn't really occur to me at the time to go see like a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a counselor or whatever. Um, it's because you don't really think about it like that because it's cancer. It's supposed to be hard. But it's really not. Right? I think the more that you can do for yourself, I think it's it's a really um, fantastic thing. What you've done is just to go to see someone and find a way of dealing with it. Absolutely. And and Tom, he saw a therapist as well. Now, in his case, and, and I do advocate for this for cancer patients especially, and I don't know about your views on this, um, but for him, he said he would go, but he wanted to wait till he got through treatment because he wanted all of his energy and everything to get through treatment. And I think even at the time, he was still in shock. So I don't, I, I think finding the right time of when you get those interventions are really important because to do it just because you think you need to do it versus when you're open and ready to have that conversation and, and really help work through the trauma of it and how abrupt things happen and all of the changes in your life, um, I think is super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just think it's it's just important to to use every tool you can to help you kind of deal with this experience. Um, you know, for me, it was uh, definitely like an online support group, just going to a forum for testicular cancer and being able to ask questions and to hear from um, real people, you know, uh, advice and support. It just makes such a huge difference because um, no matter what sort of support you have, I think both uh, as a cancer patient or as a caregiver, there are definitely times when you feel like you're alone, uh, when when you feel Mm -hmm. lost and confused, right? Absolutely. And I think part of my issue, not issue, but something I wish I kind of had realized earlier was I, I found myself pulling away from in those alone moments, wanting to reach out to people because I didn't want them to have to take it on either. I didn't want to have to call my best friend again and be like, I'm having a rough day. I didn't want to start, you know, in my mind, I'm like, am I jeopardizing these friendships and relationships because my life is so chaotic and I didn't want that. Um, So it's hard because you're right. You you kind of have those moments of loneliness and sadness. And then you also kind of almost don't want to share it with anyone because our whole life was lonely and sad at the time. You know, it's like you don't want relationships to change and, and they do. That's inevitable. Yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes you also want to hear stories from people who've been there, you know, who kind of, um, to know that, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel to know that other people have gone through it. But um, I think I want to really jump into like, uh, where you talked about people in your life, uh, your friends, your family, how, how, did, how did they support you? And did they really um, support you in the way that you wanted to be supported? We had, hands down, we have the most wonderful family and friends. Um, We had so much support, so much so that that's actually part of the reason I started blogging is I knew how many people would want to stay informed on what we were going through. And I knew that I couldn't also add communicating with hundreds of people to my list of to-dos. So I figured if I can do that in one channel, that would help. And um, it's a great problem to have. 
we have, um, I will say for me, one of the biggest lessons I learned is you have to be clear on what help means because what somebody might think is helpful actually may or may not be for you on that day. And part of that was on me and I wasn't thinking. And, and there's elements where people, there are definitely times where people were doing stuff where I knew it was more helpful for them to feel like they were helping us than perhaps it was helpful to us. But that's okay because people just feel helpless, especially close family and friends. They don't know what to do to help. I found that people being specific, um, you know, I had somebody text me and say, hey, is there anything I can do? No, we're good. That's my answer. Versus somebody saying, hey, I'm at the grocery store. Can I grab you anything? Because for me, as the caregiver and for Tom, you feel such tremendous guilt already that people are doing things for you. To, to know that they were already at the grocery store and that wasn't an inconvenience for them and they could actually bring us food. Things like that. Being specific in how people can help you or how you can help somebody, I think goes a super long way. And then I also think it's on that caregiver and patient to actually say, here is what is helpful for us and then figure out who can help you with those pieces of the puzzle so you can get the support you need. Yeah, you make a fantastic point that, that people should kind of be more specific when they offer help because um, you don't want favors as well. You just want people um, to do something that they're comfortable with doing. So how did you um, kind of make it clear for people that these are the things that are going to actually be really meaningful for you that are really going to help you in a way that's really right for you? Well, to be honest, it took me a minute to figure it out myself. Um, and that, that's, that's hard, you know, it's knowing. And the reality is what's helpful on one day maybe isn't helpful the next day. Yeah. Um, it, it could be that, you know, I remember when, when Tom had his surgery, I thought I'd be able to bring him home and, and quick run out to the grocery store and grab what we needed for a while because we would be in the hospital for a week. So it's not like that's something I could do ahead of time. The food would have all been spoiled. Um, and I remember that was right towards the end. And this was not like my personality to ever. And I, I texted my sister-in-law and said, can you do me a favor and grab these five things from the grocery store and just toss them in the house? And she knew my garage code. Um, that's not something I ever would have done before this happened. I would have been like, hey, can you go run to my groceries for me? So just asking and knowing people, you know, some people would reach out and say, I don't know what I can do for you now, but here are the different things I can do. If ever you need that, call me. That's super helpful, you know, and I knew that I had, you know, family and friends around here who have, you know, small children. I'm not calling them at eight o'clock at night to help with something because I know they're home, you know, they have small kids and they may not be able to leave their home. Right. So it's kind of always knowing what people are willing to help you with and then knowing when you can do that. And for me, it's, it's still it was very hard. I don't think I did a perfect job at it at all. Um, of course, I got good at it towards the end when we were really in the struggle, but I, I do wish I had gotten better at just asking for the help we needed and being very upfront about um, what would have been helpful. Yes, it's a, it's a learning experience you don't want to have. Right, right. And you don't, wanna, you don't want anyone to feel like they have to do something. You already feel guilty. And, yeah. and I, you know, when I did ask people, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I hope, I hope that's okay. I hope they're not mad. I hope I didn't inconvenience them, you know. It's just my nature. I, I just feel bad about those types of things. So it's hard. Yeah, you don't want to be in that situation. You feel so vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's hard to deal with, with um, checkups and because and, you're kind of worried that the cancer has come back. So how does it work for you now, like for, for you and your husband? Oh, those are really rough. <laughs> um, so we are still on a three-month cadence because of how aggressive his cancer was. 
so it's a roller coaster. The, the week leading up to it, I would say, is not our strongest week when it comes to sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> things that you know, it's it's that old age, it's that old saying of there's just an elephant in the room, and you you know, going back to being open and communicators and trying to deal with all of it, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to be the one to say I'm worried. Uh, you don't you don't want to cast any doubt. You want to stay positive, but you also have to prepare yourself. I think in our case, for how abrupt his cancer came out, our nature now is to prepare for that ball to come out of left field that you aren't expecting. But how do you manage that and stay positive? It's tough. It's super, super tough. I would say um, we have a silly ritual. There's a kind of a greasy diner on the way to the hospital that we always have breakfast. We get up early and go have breakfast before we go see the oncologist and get the results because that's just our half an hour where we can just kind of take a deep breath and the day is actually here. And then um, we see our doctor and they're just wonderful. And I think a big part of the challenges we have with that, it, it's really hard to go back into those spaces that had become so comfortable it's hard to sit in a waiting room when you've got people in all different stages of their cancer battles. I remember right in the heart of Tom's treatment, we were sitting in the waiting room and somebody was coming out and the receptionist said, okay, we, we got to schedule you for six months out. And Tom turned to me and said, I wonder if I'll ever be able to make that appointment. Because in our world at that time, we were there every other day. We were there for treatment. We were in the hospital overnight. So those just kind of being back in the environment you feel sick to your stomach. It, everything just seems like you have to remind yourself you're not back in those days. You're there for the checkup. And I think um, beyond those those weeks leading up to those scans, I think some of the hard days that people don't realize for folks that have had cancer and are only a couple years out is that those are really, really hard weeks. But also what's hard are those random colds or that random pain or the thing that happens on a Tuesday and you have to convince yourself that it's just a headache and that he's okay and that all he needs to take is some Excedrin or something. Those things are strangely hard because you immediately put your guard up because you don't want to get caught off guard again. Um, so those days are hard within those, um, those three-month periods for us of going back to the doctor. Yeah, I'm so with you on that one. Like, yeah, it's, it's the little pain or ache and your mind, the, the first thing it jumps to it's cancer, you know, whether it's yep, a headache exactly. or whatever. Yeah, it's back. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, and I love the point you made about the, the little rituals. I think we would do that in um, in our hospital. Um, there's this little cafe with a little garden, and we always kind of go there for um, for coffee there. So yeah, I really get you because you kind of get used to these. Um, just ways of doing things where, where you're comfortable, where because you want some certainty, right? You you want any bits of certainty mm -hmm. that you can cling to in this in this time in this age of craziness and and things that just come out of the left field. Yeah, and we're so used to um, you know we've become a society that is so used to getting information so quickly and on demand. It's sometimes strange to like have to wait. <laughs> like, <laughs> just tell me, like. Can I just look this up on an app or something? You know, there is this extra component that this, uh, the way the hospitals operate and, and waiting between days for appointments and, you know, he would scan and do blood work the day before and we come in. It just doesn't jive with how the world operates now, which is so fast paced. So you're also kind of out of your element of there's got to be a way to get this answer right now. Come on, like, sir, you can tell me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You know, you're yeah. so used. <laughs> Serious, the cancer bag. Uh <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you know, one one thing that's always bothered me is that um, whenever you you go to give your um, bloods or you know you're going for a CT scan and X-ray, it, it bothers me that the person who kind of decides your fate, you know, the person who looks at the uh, at the records and does the tests, like you never see them, you know, like they. they mm-hmm. it's, at least you can talk to your oncologist or you can talk to your urologist, whoever your specialist is. But the person who's looking at the test results, you don't know who that is. Exactly. And you're hoping they're having a good day. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. They're catching everything, right? It's, there's human error. There's an element of it. And there's something about seeing the person and knowing like, okay, they were they were uh, engaged and are you know, looking and all of that stuff. And you hate to doubt them because you know they're doing their jobs, but you know, there is an element of human error in all of those test results that you, you know, that it's natural. You wonder. Yeah, you wonder. What if they came to work with a hangover? Right. It <laughs> happens. It's funny. The morning of Tom's surgery, um, our surgeon came in and, and he, he was wonderful. And he said, I said, I didn't know, you know, it's awkward. And I'm trying to lighten the mood. And I said, so you're, like, you're feeling good? Like, what do you do? Do you stretch out in the morning of surgery? Like, I don't know. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, you know, I got up and, and ran at four o'clock this morning. And I'm thinking to myself, why weren't you sleeping? Why, why were you up? Like, you know, you're doing surgery on my husband today, right? But yeah, you hope they're having a good day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Like, for me, cancer has really just changed my world completely. It, it's changed the way I look at things, my priority, like the, the way I live my life. Did you go through a similar experience? Absolutely. And I think people sometimes don't realize it happens both for the patient and the caregiver. I think there's also become this element of, you know, the pressure to dramatically change your life when something like this happens. And the reality is, you know, my husband had to go back to his job. We couldn't, you know, I always joke, it's not like we were going to sell everything and go buy a cigar shop on the beach the day after. You have to recover. You have to get through the trauma. You have to financially recover. You have to feel confident that, you know, it's all out, they're gone and it may not come back and you got to get through those scans. I would say absolutely, though, we make decisions differently. You know, before cancer, for the most part, you can't predict the future, but I knew if I did X, Y would happen. You know, I, we have X amount of dollars saved. We can afford this. We can go on this trip. We can do this. So there's an element where your future feels less predictable because there's always that little voice in your head saying, Yep, but, yep, but, you know, we make decisions differently, perhaps that we may have not taken that chance on something, or we're going to take that risk that we wouldn't have otherwise taken, or we say to heck with it, we're going to, we're going to drive eight hours to spend four hours with somebody and turn around and drive back. You know, you, you, you know, it's important, your priorities change, and the things you do and who you spend time with and how you spend your money. Absolutely. I do think it'll probably for us, especially continue to happen more over time. And I I always say, I'm sure there's decisions that we haven't even thought we have to make yet that we will make differently because of everything that's happened. And what about your book? Uh, Did that, did that kind of help at all as well? Absolutely. I think that the book for me was really hard as I was writing that. And, um, you know, Tom and I going through it because for me, you know, to your previous question there, Tom had this kind of whole pressure on what does he want to do with his life now? Is this a career he wants? Same with me. I, I remember, you know, I worked through all this, but I remember thinking to myself, I'm, and I'm a very career driven person. Is this what I want to do? Does this matter? Because, you know, there's days you're sitting there and you're going, everything that's important to me is outside of these four walls. <laughs> you know, I, I care about my career. I care about doing a good job, but 
the things that matter most are there. You know, you have that element. So for me, um, the book originally started from my blog and, and the hits on the blog kept increasing and, um, you know, the link kept getting shared. And, and by the end, I was actually getting quite a few hits per week. And that kind of triggered a, a response for me. And there's not a resource like this out there. You know, there's not something from the caregiver's perspective. I was looking for it. I was looking for it when he got diagnosed. Somebody tell me, like, how do we get through this? What can I do? How do I support him? And so for me, it's just I, I saw that the world needed this. And I felt strongly that I wanted to put this out in there. And, and to your, your earlier point, the book is very raw. I am brutally honest. <laughs> I don't sugarcoat it. I felt like that was a disservice to anyone that would be going through this. And for me, that was a tough decision to make and change my priorities in the sense that did I want to put this raw personal story about us out there, about our cancer experience, about our quest to still have a family? Um, you know, these are things that you don't usually walk around and have like cocktail conversations in a typical <laughs> setting, right? Like we really put ourselves out there. And for me, you know, you go through something like this and you realize that if you don't take this and if you don't help the next person or do something as a result of it, there's, there's an element that you've missed an opportunity. And I, and I think there's, um, there's a real kind of gift in being able to get through these and give back. Yeah, so that, that's, that's so fantastic because um, I think it definitely is something that can help every cancer caregiver out there just to um, get practical advice on what to do, but just also knowing that, you're, you're not alone, that you're not the only person go through it. And there's hopefully a, a light at the end of the tunnel and this new normal that um, everyone talks about. But also I think it's important to read for cancer patients as well to know what it's like uh, for, for, for the caregiver, for someone who sticks through it with you and who even has slightly different challenges to what you're going through so that you can really kind of appreciate that and, and keep those communication channels open so that everyone is really just on the same page, right? Absolutely. And I think what's been interesting is um, the book's been out for about a year. And of course, in my head, this is a logical audience of, you know, people, like you mentioned, people who have cancer, so they have a better understanding of the people that support them, family and friends who are trying to support someone with a, um, going through a cancer diagnosis. What's been so interesting is there's been this whole other group of readers that have said it's a love story, the story about hope. You know, this is intentionally was written, not just about cancer. I don't want cancer to always dominate the conversation because for so long, it felt like that was the only narrative we had. And for me to incorporate stories of our life before, and, you know, I bounce in the book about things, you know, goofy stories that happened to us before cancer. And I love that that was one of the first questions you asked is what was that life before cancer? Because it, there's a reminder to me that in a strange way, life finds a way of preparing us, even if we don't know that at the time. And I was very deliberate in making sure that this, while this is a story about our experience with cancer and being a caregiver, there's so much more to the story than just the cancer, because there's so much more to anybody going through cancer or the caregivers. It, it can feel like it's dominating everything about you, but it's just a small piece of you. And you will regain that you know, composure and that reality back. It sometimes feels like it's going to take a while, but that you can do it. So that's been really awesome for me to know that the story can resonate with people, even if they're not in the thick of this. Yeah, that is so true because you are so much more than this cancer. So how would someone go about finding your book? 
Yes, yeah, so the book is available um, on Kindle and then on our website, which is 128daysandcounting.com and also on Amazon. So his cancer from diagnosis until the day we found out he was cancer-free was 128 days. And I intentionally put the and counting kind of once I started writing the book because it became very quickly clear to me that the cancer-free was not the finish line. It was actually the starting point. And um, Tom went through a really rough battle with depression and PTSD and kind of pulling all those pieces back together because it's a lot to undertake. And I always say that and counting is the most important part because to rebuild and get your life back and, you know, going back to what I said, is getting back to our regular roles of husband and wife. And, you know, that's a real transition. And um, that's kind of how the name came about. And that's where you can find us. Fantastic. And thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, thank you so much. It's so great to talk to you. Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time, because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast, because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with, and you don't want to go it alone. And you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague, her name is Jill. Her husband had prostate cancer, so uh, so he, she has this kind of caregiver's perspective. And we both like talked about how there are so many times um, when you go through cancer when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling. You're on this roller coaster of emotions, and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with. So there, there's an audio version that comes along with it and there's a link to download the MP3 if that's what you want or you can just listen to it online and, you know, and just uh, listen along with the PDF. 
So another one is testicular cancer support kit. This has a one-page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends. Like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when. And it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer. Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer and you don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, we just talked about you also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of simplified cancer and listen i'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how i'm doing here i mean are you getting what, what you're looking for was there something in particular that that really made sense to you or is there a question that you want to ask or maybe there's there's just something that you you want to get off your chest like please i need to know just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time. 